Welcome to Lean Back. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. And today we're talking about mutual aid. And I was really excited that you wanted to record on this because I think we're in a political moment that is highlighting the necessity of mutual aid, uh, given the federal government's total and complete failure in responding to COVID-19. So um, I guess we could start, Laura, by talking about maybe this political moment and about why you think it was it's been ripe for uh, mutual aid organizing. I, maybe I'm not surprised, but I'm appalled that we're, you know, we've structured our economy in this way, you know, where people's livelihoods are so precarious. Like the way we've organized our economy, where each family unit is like responsible for their own individual space. I feel like it's kind of wreaked havoc on our ability to care for each other. Like if you're unable to miss a single paycheck and you're on the verge of losing everything, how do you support other people? And I'm kind of like, why don't we have existing networks to fall back on or some like guaranteed security nets? That is an obligation, I think, of the government, but they failed in that social contract. (laughs) And so you know, it's left to us, you know, so now we have organizations and groups that are supporting service workers who are made unemployed. Um, And before that, you know, uh, in pockets of the economy that were even more left behind, you know, you have like informal childcare collectives and transgender support groups that were existing before this, like that had obviously you know, been left behind by the government. And now um, that is a broad, wide-scale economic issue. I'm really impressed that people are doing what they can to help, uh, especially the folks who were already in precarious circumstances. Yeah, I mean, I think that the important thing about mutual aid is that it both meets needs that aren't being met um, at all or quickly enough and mutual aid networks help build supportive relationships. So I think it's like the meeting of the material concern and then the intimacy and relationship piece that make mutual aid sustainable. But, you know, there have always been mutual aid funds. I certainly write about the Black Panther Party and their free breakfast program and mobile health programs and literacy programs and, you know, prison busing and library drives are all models. I, you know, I work obviously with a lot of reproductive justice advocates and, you know, abortion funds are a form of mutual aid. I think about um, all of the work being done around immigration at the border and leaving water for immigrants. And, you know, like there are lots of mutual aid places um, to look in culture, in the culture right now where folks have been doing this kind of work, but it hasn't been large scale and it hasn't been focused on wages and rent um, the way that it needs to. So, you know, in this moment, I think there are fa- lots of failures, but two in particular come to mind. The first is um, federalism and the shunting of responsibility for the COVID response to the states from the Trump administration and the abdication of any kind of responsibility to provide a coordinated effort. That's like the first and top level problem. And the second is just like a negative futurism, right? Like that there is no future that we don't have to plan for it, that we're not sharing it. We don't exist in the same. Our only job is to like secure our own personal you know, finances. 
And that inability to think about the future as a collective act, I think, is what is the most troubling thing. So, you know, mutual aid circumvents the federalism problem by saying, okay, well, it's really your immediate community that's providing for you anyway. And it combats the negative futurism by producing a shared collective vision in communities, you know, regardless of the political persuasion of the people who are participating in it. And in those ways, I think that mutual aid is really important because it gives us a way of thinking about uh, or thinking our way out of what feels like a total death drive of American culture. Like we're just racing to the bottom. It's all driven by individual interests and selfishness and consumption and destruction of social welfare. I'm glad that you um, mentioned the Black Power Breakfast programs because um, I think it really demonstrates the way that mutual aid programs can influence policy, you know, in the right direction. Because I, I, my understanding is that it led to some of the school lunch programs yeah, that right. help feed kids. So, you know, mutual aid is a good way to influence policy and kind of prefigure what kind of future you want uh, in terms of social support. So the thing is that there's just nothing like what the government is able to do. Like even if you have billionaires donating massive sums of money, it just can't compare to the resources that federal and state governments have to organize tax dollars. So, um, and you, you probably shouldn't have people without public accountability structuring support programs um, if we're talking about like wide broad scale support but you know on the local level and in a way that like supports the people that are around you your neighbors the people you have relationships with I think this is a huge part of how we should we could better organize our economy Well, okay. so I think that the thing about mutual aid is that it requires a shift in thinking about problem solving. So, you know, I've worked in politics for 26 years now and I, you know, work in both ways on the mutual aid side and then also on the, you know, electoral side. And, you know, in this country, the story is that, you know, the people in power and the elected officials are going to be the problem solvers. So we should lobby to change laws and get policies passed and, you know, wait for the system to work and maybe the courts will save us. And uh, they have a shitty track record, actually, of taking care of the population. And so the relief never ends up where it needs to. It doesn't go to the poorest people or the people who need the most help. And so you're seeing this smash and grab capitalism right now where the you know tax relief is going to these huge corporations instead of where the money needs to go to shore up the people. So, you know, I think that mutual aid really calls that into question. It's like, okay, well, those folks really can't be trusted to take care of us. How do we do it ourselves? I think the other side of that is the nonprofit side, right, which often devolves into charity, right, where nonprofits give poor people stuff, but only if they meet a certain set of criteria or requirements. There's like eligibility verification to see if you're poor enough or sad enough, if your story's worse enough, and then you meet the criteria to get the aid. And so 
that kind of charity, you know, conceives of itself being this Robin Hood thing where the rich give money to the charities and then the charities get to decide who's most deserving. But that is not what mutual aid is because it's really about solidarity regardless of your class position. And so in that way, I think it has that mutual aid has a much greater potential to build a uh, coalitional politics because the solidarity is not dependent upon um, paternalism or gratitude, which is definitely how nonprofit shit works. I mean, the nonprofit industrial complex is entirely about these uh, pathological emotional economies of gratitude and um, mutual aid is not that at all. It's about doing what's right and it has more of an ethical framework, you know, and that seems to me, to be a, a major difference um, in thinking. So I, I kind of want to talk about why mutual aid is so important now with the coronavirus keeping people out of work and disrupting like our normal ways of um, how, how we organize our time and money. Do you have any insight about, you know, networks that are organizing now that are Oh, yeah. You know, cropping up to support people during this time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that the the folks who are bailing um, people out of jail, right, so that, that because they're just in there because of this regressive tax on them. Um, I think of the squatters, especially in California, who are just retaking abandoned buildings, right? I think that's very interesting and a, a calculation about property that really I think should change how we feel about housing um I mean it's very I keep talking to my friends in the on the coasts about how very different weathering the quarantine is in the small town in the mid-south because you know basically everybody in your community like I can't leave my house without running into people that I know it's not possible right and so I think that the college towns, insofar as they are tight knit, have a higher population of educated people and who are being paid right now and who have both the money and the time to sustain mutual aid projects, whether it's, you know, uh, feeding people or whether it's rent bailout or whatever. And so I think that the people who are probably in the worst spot are the ones that don't have networks in the bigger cities where their um, networks are spread out if they have them over much larger um, space. And so it's not so immediate. So it's harder for them to build immediate community, you know, where it shouldn't be. It should be your entire building or your walk up or whatever, you know, working together uh, with everybody on your block to build your community garden or whatever. And so it feels different here. It doesn't, it doesn't, it feels t exhausting, but it doesn't feel alienating, I think, for um, a lot of the folks who are doing mutual aid work because it's so much of the fabric of the community anyway, you know, not necessarily in the same way that it is right now with the COVID, but in ways that benefits uh, sort of the larger superstructures, even the nonprofit ones that everybody participates in as part of the local community. So I think that there are a lot of a lot of places where you can look right now where mutual aid is happening because the governmental failure is so terrible. You could also look outside of, you know, the continental U.S. I'm thinking about Puerto Rico, which, I mean, mutual aid groups popped up all over the place because the U.S. federal government fucked up the response to the hurricane there so horribly. 
And, you know, anytime there's a disaster, mutual aid groups emerge because they have to, to meet needs. So it's not like we are not in a suffering for a lack of places where mutual aid is covering the needs of people because the government won't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like that you bring up the housing because um, I think it does highlight where the government is failing. Like you have plenty of hotels that are closed and you really can't house homeless people. I mean, you have the state reinforcing like this hyper individualism that really fucking fails, uh, especially when there's a crisis. Like everyone is at Walmart hoarding toilet paper because they can't rely on the state and they can't rely on their community um, because they haven't been able to cultivate community um, in a culture that, you know, just pushes us to focus on our own well-being. So and the mutual aid networks that are cropping up in different places, I mean, they are different. Like in New York City, you know, there's more anonymous giving and there's more like, you know, groceries show up on your doorstep. You don't know your neighbor that did it, but it's still encouraging to see those networks popping up. Yeah. And I mean, you know, um, Rebel Sydney Black um, wrote a wonderful pod mapping worksheet that went viral. It's a Google Doc. And it's all about how to build mutual aid pods in times of crisis, especially when they're going to last a long time. Um, whether that's like Zoom hangouts or leaving groceries or, you know, trading services or whatever. And I think that it's a really useful um, beginning of a conversation about how people are going to manage this, what I think will probably be a long-term crisis because the feds are going to get bored. Uh, the election is going to take precedent if it happens. You know, I mean, there's no coordinated response coming whatsoever. So it's like, okay, well, so what does it mean to constitute community around a crisis? And how can you prepare um, for that with your community neighbors? Like, what? how do you manage risk? How do you build trust? How do you manage financial and material constraints? And those are skills that we don't practice. Like Americans suck at sharing. They're shitty at it. They don't share power. They don't share resources. They don't share time. They don't share anything, the microphone. So sharing just like as a base level competency skill of a community is something that we suck at and has to be practiced like anything else. So, you know, I think that for folks, especially poor people, trans people, you know, indigenous people, disabled people, migrants, immigrants, working class people, whatever. I think that mutual aid has always existed because there's never been any federal aid or state aid. So for, you know, crises that affect white people, white people don't know how to build a community because they don't have to. They can all be radical little individuals pretending to be like, you know, their own kind of person and independent thinkers. But really, they get cut out of networks um, that could sustain them because they're too busy trampling on everybody else to maintain their class status. So I think that this is a real it's a moment to really reassess class privilege. I mean, I've been talking about it a lot in terms of what happens if the public schools close for the fall semester. And through the winter, because I know a lot of white people whose immediate response to that would be like, well, I'm putting my kid into a charter school or I'm putting my kid into online education. And their first response is to immediately abandon 
the public good, which is totally fucking selfish and grossly unethical. And it's better to start thinking about that in May than in August. So it's like, okay, what are we going to do to shore up the schools and save the teachers unions and support the educators in our community who are our fucking neighbors? Not like, how do I save my precious snowflakes from the flu virus that's going to kill them? You know, like, no, their priorities have to be the larger unit, right? It cannot just be like, what's good for me and my family. And so I just really think the family as a unit of analysis, especially in a time like this, where the family's being asked to make the sacrifice, is just just totally the wrong political frame. It's just hyper individualist and really morally bankrupt. I mean, I think stuff like that tracks how we handle all kinds of problems, like by creating individualized solutions that are disconnected from any wider social context like with self-care like (laughs) therapeutic approaches to like make our own condition better seeing mutual aid and participating it is a, a way to like move towards using solidarity as the solution for social ails you know that these kinds of conversations are happening now. I hope it makes um, our solution, like the way that we solve our problems, less individualistic and more collective in the future. Yeah, I mean, I just, the just the quickness and willingness to totally abandon social welfare, even though this federal government is failing so badly in so many ways, is so short-sighted and on the other hand you know mutual aid groups especially around education have often been successful right but the problem is when the rich white people pull out of the social program then there's nothing there's nothing to build off of there's no union support for teachers you know the anti-intellectualism grows among white people you know, it's bowling alone times a million. It is the most alienating kind of, you know, social space. And it just reinforces all the domestic terrorism, xenophobia, and just, you know, hyperviolence that we are seeing right now. So folding on the public schools is a terrible thing to do. And it, it's, not a, it's not a sustainable option. And the framework has to be, okay, well, how do we, how can we now push for, taxation of the wealthy to fund the hospitals and to rebuild rural hospitals and why are we not investing in infrastructure why do we not have rural broadband why is the internet not a fucking public utility if we're using it to teach all of the children in america like there are huge questions right that are both that are aimed at structural transformation of government but that are also about how to hack local solutions in the short term to meet people's needs. I was thinking about New York, like all of the homeless kids, right? One of the reasons why they didn't shut down the public schools fast enough is because there's so many homeless kids in school. And it's like, you know, are there even wireless hotspots? You know, like why do the major, you know, corporations not have your AT&T mobile hotspot that parks at the local park where you can go and work on your computer? Like, you know, I don't know, this shit is not that fucking hard. And it's also not that expensive, quite frankly. I mean, you know, I was in D.C. for the Bush administration, so I know how much money they spent on those wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, and it didn't sure shit didn't make anybody safer. So, I mean, the money exists, and also we just print it when we run out. So, I mean, 
it just seems to me that the money is there and the political will is not mostly because white liberals won't really dig in and do mutual aid in a way that is honest, I think. Yeah, I was reading that in wealthy neighborhoods of New York, as many as 35% of the residents fled oh, yeah. like the, the city. I mean, that's what's going to happen is that when the urban policy in the inner cities fail, all the rich people are going to move out and build their own and stay in their own enclaves. They're like vacation enclaves. And that's how this population shift will happen for them. They have the luxury and of the of mobility, quite frankly. And it has worked that way forever when those neighborhoods were desirable places to move. You move in, you buy up shit, and you make sure that other people can't afford to live there. Yeah, I mean, so, I, I just think that the population changes are going to be so huge. And I've been thinking a lot about how, like, this horrific virus affects public transportation as, like, an ideal. Because it spreads so quickly in trains and buses and subways and whatnot. And, you know, I just think that there are just really large scale questions that no one is talking about in the federal government publicly and that the states are too poor to use um, to begin with, but also definitely when they are run by Republican governors who give away tax breaks to the rich like their candy, which is, of course, what happens in Arkansas. And so now our general revenue is shit and we can't pay to fight something like this because all that money uh, in the general revenue went back to the rich people's tax cuts. And so like, it just seems to me that from a, it's like a serious problem with the tax structure and distribution of wealth means that for the foreseeable future, the federal government is both unwilling and unable to care for any of its citizens at all. And so the hoarding of the PPE in the federal government, the refusal to divulge information and make transparent what happened to it or how it was given out and who it went to, all of that resource hoarding is no surprise. During the Bush administration, it was oil. During the Clinton administration, it was pharmaceuticals. I mean, this is not new. But it is different in that it's just like so mobbed up that I just don't see any other real way for people to regain some sense of control over their lives and their communities uh, without doing mutual aid work. I just I just see all of these people on the Internet, white people mostly, you know, spinning out and feeling impotent and alienated and um, having no agency, which is just like maddening because, of course, they have the most agency and they don't know how to use it slash won't use it. So mutual aid, I think is a way of circumventing that alienation and regaining some sense of agency and control and then solving that actual problem, right? It's not a placebo. It's not a, you know, it's a real deal way to plug in resources where they're needed the most. And so it seems to me that the only way that we get out of this alive is by expanding and doubling down to invest in mutual aid networks in our communities to build that kind of solidarity. Yeah. The thing about mutual aid is that it doesn't need to be on any kind of scale. You can really set up a system to just help one small segment of your community, right? Like it's okay if your mutual aid network helps just a handful of people. 
again, like this shouldn't be a replacement for government action. Like you don't have to have something that's like newsworthy or that like people are celebrating you for talking about building a statue. Like it can really be (laughs) really helping a handful of people. Like that's all it takes. Um, And I mean, and fundamentally, you know, I, I think it should be more than just a palliative for like helping with the current situation right now. Sure. Like there should also be a momentum that pushes back on the structure structures that make the situation so dire. And also, you know, there should be some thought around what future do we want and what steps do we take to get there? Even when the coronavirus is no longer an issue, climate change certainly will be. So we're not going to, come to a situation where we you know we don't have to take action like there's always going to be stuff that we can do to help each other out yeah i mean obviously mutual aid is for the people who are like interested in a future right (laughs) and just feel like they don't know where to start um but the goal of mutual aid which is not the goal of government the goal of mutual aid is freedom Right. How do we build a freer culture? How how can securing your freedom help my freedom? Because really, you're only as free as the as the least free person in your society. White people delude themselves into thinking that they're free because sometimes they have a little bit of money, but they just have choices. That doesn't mean that they're free. Choice is a part of freedom, but it's not the essential the essential quality of it. It's not the central concern. So it seems to me that if freedom is what we're striving towards, and I I think for me at least it is, mutual aid is the only way that we can get there. The government is not going to secure your freedom. It doesn't exist to do that. It exists to perpetuate itself. So, you know, the good thing about mutual aid is it can happen between two people or 50 people, right? (laughs) And it's built on intimacy. So it's like your, your circle. Who are you close to? Who do you you know, have access to who is part of your extended network? Is it friends of your friends, you know, your extended family, whatever. But all of those, what are your care about? That's part of your mutual aid network. And I think that people have those, they just don't know that they can just access them and help at any point. And that itself is mutual aid. So I like the portability of mutual aid that you refer to, because I think it's totally true. And God knows we all have skills that we contribute to other people, right, that they would find useful that they don't also have. So it's not like we don't have things to share with each other. We have totally different qualities and skills and talents and trades. And so, you know, especially in a time of crisis and, you know, let's face it, capitalism is a persistent state of crisis. It just seems to me that mutual aid is the way to go. You were saying, like, we all have different skills we can contribute. It's easy to say, like, you see someone doing something that, you know, is laudable and that they're getting a lot of credit for. And you're like, well, I can't do that. So, like, I guess there's nothing I can do. But you just have to take what your skills are, you know, and apply them where necessary. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really just think that mutual aid is portable. <laughs> so it's not like it's not designing, you know, an entire system for an entire country and the delivery mechanism and a tax method to pay for it. And, you know, it's really it's not scalable. It's scalable in a way that's manageable. Right. It's not scalable in this huge you know, national problem solving sort of way. And so I think people can plug in wherever they can. And that's very empowering. 
right? I mean, it's scalable in so far as people are able to contribute and share resources, right? Yeah. So <laughs> some mutual aid efforts are going to have more collective um, participation and those will scale. Like it kind of is like the needs determine, you know, where the resources go because it is built from, you know, individual action and individual agency. But like, I just want to say divestment is a mutual aid <laughs> tool, right? So even if you're like, I don't have any skills, do you have monies? Because that is good for mutual aid. Money buys lots of food and clean water and rent. And, you know, like divestment is a fine thing to contribute. So just divest the money into mutual aid organizations who are already solving the problems. Like that's enough. That's a good thing to do. Just keep divesting the money. That is or even, or even just like changing your behavior. Like you can't do anything, but you can probably stop eating meat. Oh, yeah. um, you, you can probably uh, stop buying stuff from Amazon. Like it's really like whatever you can do. Like you don't have any skills, sure, but you definitely can stop buying stuff on Amazon. I mean, I just think about it right here about how many of our local restaurants in Fayetteville who are not serving patrons uh, in their dining rooms have switched over to hustling food for the CSAs and local food co-ops. And even though obviously some of that is meat, what I like about it is that it is securing the local food supply. And I think that's super sexy. Yeah. It's not like you can just stop eating meat. Like there's a meat supply chain. I was reading that like farmers are having to kill that they are not able to sell. So, I mean, everyone making that change at once. Oh, just give the fucking pigs away. Why are you... The destruction of food is, like, the grossest part of factory farming and large-scale farming. Like, totally. It's so gross to me. It's like we're going to destroy our crop to set prices. It's just fucking foul. And especially because we live down here in part of the breadbasket and also has such high food insecurity. It just strikes me as just so unethical on so many levels to do that but i do like the way that here in arkansas at least people are making a conscious effort to involve local food systems into the way that they're managing this crisis and i think that really needs to be lauded like i wish we i don't have the time for this but i wish we had like a watchdog group in town that's just like ooh, look at all these people using their masks like this week's gold star goes to so-and-so here are these folks who are safeguarding your food pipeline. And here are the people who are, you know, planting all of these pollinator friendly things while we're all in our houses. And, you know, I would like to see some recognition of that. And I think, I think that's one of the shitty parts of this moment that's buried is the environmental consequence of the Trump administration smash and grab over COVID and the loosening of regulation on the EPA, especially Clean Water Act, and also just the massive subsidies that are going back into fossil fuels. Fuck them. So I, you know, I I think that I also just like completely shit on the journalists here because I'm like, where are the stories about the environment? We're just devolved into this he said, she said swamp of, you know, indictments and, you know, malfeasance. And can we please also talk about the future and how to build it despite these jackasses? Like, I mean, it's, I don't know, the negative news cycle, I think, is contributing to people's malaise. 
And I think that mutual aid is the only way, at least that I'm, I think, productively managing the quarantine. I just wish people would also, you know, participate in ways that help them feel like they were, you know, exerting some more control over their future and helping to build solidarity with others so that that future can be as inclusive as possible.